Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we are continuing our coverage of Star Wars Rebels as we look at Season 2, Episodes 19 and 20. All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined by Riki Hayashi. Uh, unfortunately, Sarah cannot be with us, but Riki, so good to have you with us. Yes. Hi. Happy to be here, as always, for Star Wars Rebels, a show that keeps getting better. Except maybe not these episodes. Well, it's too bad, too, because like today we have a droid episode, and I know Sarah is a big droid fan. I feel like she would love this episode in a way that you, I know, definitely don't, and I think she's just not feeling too well tonight. I like this episode. Okay, okay. I mean, the first one, for sure, the droid episode. <laughs> the second one is, I think I would agree with you, It it it's the most filler episode we've had so far this season, if not the yeah, whole show. We'll get to that. And, you know, even at its worst, I think Star Wars Rebels is still fundamentally a good show because it has good characters, writing, and mm-hmm. voice acting. Um, it's really mostly, I think, a plot thing that we had problems with and Mm -hmm. also i think it's just comes at a time when we've been building this ongoing storyline of you know ahsoka tano the inquisitors darth vader and it seems like one of these interludes where we're interrupting the flow of that yeah yeah i think so and i think this is where you know I think this show is much better than Clone Wars, certainly, in terms of filler, in terms of filling things out. But now that we're in a world where often TV shows are eight episodes, six episodes, ten or twelve episodes, and even then there can be filler, but often it really feels like, you know, a show just takes as many episodes as it needs to tell its story. And now, going back to these 22, 24-episode shows can remind you, like, yeah, sometimes there there can be some things to fill it in. Before we jump too far into uh, these specific episodes, uh, we got an email from some. We're getting a good deal of uh, emails and contacts and stuff. This person uh, gives permission to read their question on the the air, so I wanted to jump into that. Uh, It's from Sith Joel. Uh, So, Joel, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, Says, I really love your podcast. I'm learning a lot more about this show as I watch and listen to what you all have to say. I'm curious, at this point, do you think Kanan is doing a good job of teaching Ezra the Force? It seems like, obviously, he has a lot of doubts about himself. Do you think those doubts are legitimate? Thanks again. We'd love to hear your answer. What do you think? Well, okay, so this point, I'm using air quotes, right? This point, where it's unclear when Joel is writing in, but we'll some, some point in season two, right, is what we're uh-huh. talking about. And I don't think he is. And that, that's part of the ongoing storyline between them. Kanan himself is learning to be a master to right. Ezra because he, he wasn't even officially a Jedi Knight, right? He was a Padawan. He right. was never knighted. So the moment in the Jedi Temple in the previous episodes we discussed when the former or future Inquisitor knights Kanan and says, you are now a Jedi Knight, I think is an important moment in his character development and in his relationship with Ezra, because it gives him more of that confidence. So yeah. I, I would say in answer to Joel's question, no, I don't think he's doing 
a great job, but that's the point. He's learning yeah. too. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think one of the things I think we've talked about that I find most interesting about Kanan's character is that in so many ways, he's breaking the idea of what it means to be a good Jedi. He has a, a partner who he cares quite a lot about. He cares a lot about Ezra, clearly. He has these attachments. He has moments of real anger and, and emotion in ways that, you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan would have always said you shouldn't have. And I, I think part of what the show is playing at is that I think certainly he's not being a good Jedi. And so maybe in some ways that means he's not being a good mentor. In some ways, maybe he's being an even better mentor. Um, Because I... I certainly think that Ezra, being who he was, having himself not grown up in the temple, I don't think Ezra would last 10 minutes in the temple. You know, he's just such a hothead. He, it took him a while to care about someone else. I'm just trying to imagine Obi-Wan or Yoda or even someone like Plo Koon or someone like that trying to sit down and teach Ezra the Force. I feel like Ezra's going to be back out on the streets in 10 minutes. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I kind of feel like you put Kanan into the Jedi temple to be a master, to be a, to train people, it's going to be a disaster. And you're right here. He's learning. He's making a lot of mistakes, but I also think he's probably the best. I don't think anyone else could do better for Ezra at this point. Yes. And, and I think now that we've talked about it, what's going on here is that this is a parallel to Anakin Skywalker, right? Yeah, he was considered so. too old. And Ezra is actually probably even older than Anakin was when he came to the Jedi Temple. Mm -hmm. And because he was too old for the the dogma that the Jedi Order had at the time, that was part of what led to the downfall of Anakin and the, the Jedi Order. Right. So here you have someone who is too old, but you also have someone who wasn't completely indoctrinated in the dogma. So... Yeah. He may, Kanan may be an imperfect master, but then so is Ezra an imperfect apprentice from the Jedi Order point of view, but they are right. good for each other. I think that's a good way to put it because we talk about how Kanan, you know, he's from the Jedi Order. So in theory, like he has all their ideas and all that. But he also left the Jedi Order, I mean, left in that the Jedi Order was destroyed around him when he was like eight or nine years old. So. It's not like he has an adult learning. He has what an eight-year-old would have learned about it at that point, which is probably an incredible amount of idealism, an incredible amount of, like, the Jedi are always right, everything is right and good, but not many details. You know, you haven't started looking at the, the, the clearer picture at eight or nine years old. You're still getting just the very broad strokes. So I, I think that's another really interesting point here is, like, how much does Kanan actually know about the Jedi and how much is it just... Him trying to fill in the gaps of the the, just the broad strokes he was taught. Yeah, very good points. Yeah. Again, great points. Thank you so much, Joel, for uh, the great question. Really appreciate it. And for other folks, uh, you'll hear all the contact information at the end, but you can also go to theethicalpanda.com. Write in. We'd love to hear your questions and thoughts. So let's dive into these two episodes we've got today. First is the Forgotten Droid, episode 19. While on a ghost crew mission to steal fuel, Chopper steals a replacement strut for his original leg. Chopper is separated from the ghost crew and finds himself stranded on an Imperial freighter. He is eventually discovered by the ship's inventory droid, AP-5, who does not report him upon finding out that Chopper is a veteran of the Clone Wars just like him. AP-5 complains to Chopper that the Empire does not appreciate his previous role as a strategist, and the freighter crew constantly mistreats him. Chopper removes AP-5's restraining bolt, and the two work together to trap the crew in the cargo hold and detach it from the ship. 
Chopper makes contact with the ghost, and AP-5 warns them that the Empire knows their destination and has set up a trap. AP-5 is shot by the freighter captain as he transmits through coordinates, but the ghost crew manages to repair him by using parts from the leg Chopper stole. So, you know, we've got a whole thing about kind of a, it's robotic prosthetic leg, but still a little bit I can connect with, so I was happy for that. Um, uh, what do you, you think of this episode? I mean, again, we call these filler episodes because it's pretty removed from the main plot. Right. It could really take place at any any point other than the search for the base aspect mm-hmm. of the, the episode. It could really take place anywhere, but it it is a good chopper-centric episode. Yeah. Right? There's there's a little bit of the other crew members at the beginning and interspersed and then at the end, but the majority of the action from the main cast perspective centers on Chopper, and then we get this great, great guest droid character, AP5, played by Stephen Stanton, who's just, you know, a veteran of this mm-hmm. and Clone Wars, played... um Tarkin and the the voice work he does in this is so amazing because it is evocative of Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. You know, very much and so. Initially, like every every time I hear the voice, I'm like, is it Alan Rickman? And you know, you look it up and it's not. But it's funny because when when I look it up, the first link that comes up is, is this Alan Rickman? Yeah, exactly. Because that's when people think it is. Exactly. It's a tribute, you know, part partially to Alan Rickman as a person, but also I think to the character of, um, I'm blanking. Oh, sorry, Marvin, right? Mm-hmm. Marvin, the paranoid android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was voiced by, by Rickman. Right. Yeah, it's such it's such a well-done character because... Like, this is very much a Chopper episode, and you're right. I I think you could see this as filler, except that one of the things that the show has gotten to us so far is that often when we have a filler episode, it really develops a character, and then often we'll get some payoff for that, you know? And so we saw, an ep- we had a couple of episodes about um, uh, Zeb and his place in the Lasat that, that, like, you know, worked up to a really important character beat for him. and. I think we get so much about Chopper, and, and but I just want to say more on that actor. Chopper is like R2-D2. It's all beeps and blops, and like it's a lot more evocative than even R2, I think, and you can often get a sense of what he's saying. But you have mm-hmm. probably 15 minutes total of story time that's just Chopper and AP5 talking, which means that AP5 is carrying all the dialogue. And in some ways, the fact that he can both do that and do it really well but also make it seem like Chopper is still the main character, even though he's a big role. It, 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 to me, it's just that that's a, a wonderful bit of acting. Yeah, and I think it's a credit to the writing as well. Mm-hmm. Because that that type of reactionary dialogue, you know, has been used in Star Wars with 3PO and R2-D2, with Chewbacca and Han or other other characters who are speaking English or basic. So it's it's tried and true, but it definitely works here. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I like that, you know, it's not the most surprising episode, but I, I you know, this is one where uh, our mutual friend Jacob Malicic should want to get his thoughts on. His his Twitter is literally bots are people too, because mm-hmm. he's a really big believer in kind of droid rights and things like that. And that 
We talked about how in the Clone Wars, often their deaths are treated as like hilariously funny, that they're like pitiful and, and sorrowful as they're dying. And so here, this story about, you know, basically a worker who's getting bossed around and, and treated horribly and abused. And along comes another worker who's basically like, look, you know, all you have to lose are your chains. Let's let's do this. Let's let's overthrow the bosses. It's just a really beautiful little story that I really love. The the whole thing about droids is I I don't like the way that they often use droids to get away with a character death. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it happened in um Rogue One with the security droid. I, right. I mean everyone spoilers. If you haven't seen it by now, <laughs> everyone dies. Mm-hmm. But but they use the droid as a like earlier death, like in a sacrificial way. And Star Wars and a lot of other science fiction media do this, I feel, to to literally get away with death, like to kill a character that is beloved, but then it's it doesn't weigh as heavily on us, yeah, because it it is quote unquote just a droid. Mm-hmm. So I I did like that it seemed to be setting up towards a potential character sacrifice, you know, droid sacrifice of AP five. Right. And it didn't end up that way. Right. Especially because we had an earlier episode where there was another droid that Chopper was interacting with and Chopper didn't like very much. And Chopper kind of just like threw that one literally under the bus. I think he like kicks him off a cliff or something like that. So like. Uh, yeah, it was like the Imperial version of him or like a yeah. an Imperial astromech that they were mm-hmm. going to use. And Chopper just, yeah, like kicked that <laughs> droid off of the ship. I think. Yes. So having this one and having he be a friend. And also this nice idea that they were both in the Clone Wars, I thought was just a nice way of like drawing that connection, you know, of, you know, a lot of this show has been about what do you do with those soldiers, the former clone soldiers who, you know, they fought in the the Clone Wars and and the droids, it's the same thing. You had all these battle droids that were, you know, I think the, the main ones all just got turned off. But what about the strategist ones like this? So, it's a, you know, there's nothing entirely deep about it, but I just thought it was a fun little episode that, that really added to um, Chopper's character a lot. It added to Chopper's character, and, it, and as we find out in the very next episode, we are adding AP5 as a, not necessarily regular, but probably semi-regular, because yeah. he is now helping the Rebels right. at the base. And so, basically, anytime we visit this base, there's an opportunity mm-hmm. for ap5 to be there and interact so kind of a semi-regular like you know uh captain sato yeah yeah at this point i think it's perfect because he hasn't joined the ghost crew but he's definitely joined the rebellion yeah and and also as you said they're at i like that they're now calling it chopper base because the other nice little moment in this is that and again kind of playing into this thing of just like you know the person who no one trusts can come through and save the day at first, when AP5 and thus Chopper have this information, Chopper tries to tell everybody, like, don't go to the planet we thought we were going to. Let's go to this other place instead. No one believes him. It's only when they just have no other choice that Hera's like, okay, let's give this a shot. And so that was also a nice moment, not only of seeing his character, but seeing everyone else come to appreciate him a little bit more. Of course. I mean, Hera and Chopper go way back. So that, that connection right. is important for that moment. Definitely, definitely. All right, so let's talk about the next one, which is the uh, the mystery of Chopper Base. After finally finding a planet that is safe from the Empire, the Rebel fleet lands to set up their base. However, one of the scouts goes missing after setting up a sensor beacon. 
Sabine and Rex go to investigate when they are attacked by a swarm of Kikna spiders. Sabine is rescued by the ghost crew, but Rex is captured. The crew follows them and rescues Rex, but cannot escape upon learning that the spiders have trapped the ghost with a web. Sabine discovers the spiders cannot go near the sensor beacons they have set up and uses one to ward them away while the rest of the crew cuts the web and escapes. Back at the base, instead of abandoning the planet, the rebels use their sensor beacons as a makeshift barrier to keep the spiders away. Ezra, Kanan, and Ahsoka decide to head to Malachor to find a way to deal with the Inquisitors. I often sometimes feel like these episode summaries leave a detail or two out, but here I feel like they kind of, like, completely miss the point of the episode. (laughs) And granted, it's a filler episode, but to me the, the point of this episode is to show the tension of everyone else is starting to really coalesce into the rebellion, and Kanan, who has never really wanted to be part of the rebellion, he's finally accepting, we need to be part of the rebellion, we need to do this thing, but myself, me and Ezra, and Ahsoka, we need to go off and fight the Inquisitors, we need to go off and deal with Vader, and that there's this real tension between Kanan and Hera throughout the whole episode about Hera wanting him to stay and him feeling like he has to go, and that all the fight with the spiders is kind of just to give them something to do while they're working through that tension. Uh, is that kind of your sense? Like, it certainly seemed to me like that that's really, it's not the focus of the time, but that's really the focus of this episode. Sure. It's the difference between, I think, the plot of the episode and the character moments or character development. Yeah, I think in so. In this episode. So, yeah, I. I, in the past, I have made no, I have not hidden the fact that I dislike Monster of the Week type episodes, and I really dislike spiders. (laughs) Both are legitimate perspectives. This is probably one of my least favorite episodes of Rebels for those reasons. And, you know, if our friend Paul Hoppy were here, he would probably talk about the treatment of these animals yeah, and, and the way that they are slaughtered without really any attempt to try to communicate or understand them. Ezra makes a very half-hearted attempt, I felt like. Right. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Steve Irwin of the Star Wars universe, I think he would have done perhaps something better. But there's definitely a sense that like, even though like they go to their, the spider's planet, you know, like it's not yeah. the spiders are attacking. The spiders are just defending their home. Yeah. And it just I, to me, there's no tension in the fight. There's no there's no stakes. Like we all know what's going to happen. Um, it it just like I felt like they sort of thought, okay, we need there to be something happening while our characters are wrestling with this decision of do I stay or do I go, and just they kind of just punted on coming up with an interesting story that could have happened here. Yeah, for me personally, it reminded me of an episode of Star Trek, the original series, where there's, like, a mining colony and the miners are being disrupted by these, like, stone creatures, right? And then initially the Enterprise crew is called in to eradicate the creatures, but then I think um, Spock, yeah, Spock mind melds with one of them and comes to understand them that they are just defending their home, defending their children, right? The, The eggs, and so they come to basically an agreement on how the the native creatures and the miners will interact going forward. And right. that, you know, that's a very Star Trek thing, right? Like understanding mm-hmm. between alien species, 
is in this case especially non-humanoid ones and then like this episode of rebels they just oh no spiders and they just like everyone pulls out their blasters and starts shooting them immediately yeah and it to me yeah even though i don't like spiders it left a a poor taste in my mouth to to the treatment of a native fauna yeah I, i think that's true and and even just going back to the main story of it I think there is this interesting tension we have about, you know, who is the real enemy? Is it the Inquisitors and the Force people, or is it the military and the Empire? Especially because, and as uh, I'll be getting into more with some of the books, we know, and but we've seen even in the show, that there is a tension there between, like, the, the, the military and the Force users don't really trust each other within the Empire. And so the idea of, like, some of us have to fight one, some of us have to fight the other... I think though part of why I didn't love it is it felt very much, to me, it's very evocative of the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, where Leia is saying, you know, Han, you need to join our fight. This is this big thing we need to do. And Han is saying, no, I have to go off and deal with my personal stuff because there's a, in the famous line, a death mark is a difficult thing to live with. Granted, that's very different because Kanan's not being selfish. Kanan's feeling like he has to do this because you know, the Inquisitors are going to keep trying to kill everybody and the Inquisitors are part of the Empire. But it still also just, it, it brought up that dynamic that I, I just felt like we've seen the story before and I didn't need to see it. I, I wish they had set, made it different in some way. I completely agree with you and see where you're coming from, Matthew. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard for me to get past my personal hatred of this episode and try That's to like, find find the redeeming aspects. So... <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I think we should talk more about that, though, about the mm-hmm. character moments. Yeah. Because the there is tension here mm-hmm. yeah. between Kanan and Hera and even some of the other crew members, right? I mm-hmm. think um, when Kanan and Ezra are training, Sabine says something right. like, oh, you're, you're getting better or something like that. And, and Ezra takes it the wrong way. Right. And so they're all they're all feeling this, and they're not talking about it. I mean, eventually they, they they do talk about it, right? And that was one of the nicer moments was Kanan and Hera talking at the end of this episode. Yeah, I, I definitely feel feel like that. I think they're a very nice portrayal. I think generally when you have a couple on a TV show, either it's this constant flirtation, will they, won't they. Or once they get together, they just bicker like the, you know, stereotypical, quote, old married couple who have to fight all the time. I really like Kanan and Hera as this couple who clearly care about each other. They do fight sometimes, but when they do, they generally communicate in fairly healthy ways. Eventually, it takes them a little while. And and in moments like this where they disagree, but they both understand each other. Uh, like to me, Kanan, Kanan at least acknowledging that being part of the larger empire is a good thing. I thought was a very important moment for him. Yeah, the thing you're talking about, a lot of TV shows just stretch that out. The will they, won't they, and if they do become a couple or hook up or whatever, they you immediately have to break it up. Right, something has to happen. You cannot leave the audience satisfied in that way. You know, the the most classic one in my mind was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right, Mm -hmm. Buffy gets with Angel, and then immediately. He loses his soul and becomes evil. Like you, you don't get more, you know, sudden yeah. betrayal than that. So yeah, Kanan and Hera feels much more like a real relationship. 
mm-hmm. you, you mentioned it, they fight quite frequently, but those those fights are part of a natural conversation between them. Right. Right. Yeah, I think so. And I think it really works. The other moment that I thought was very interesting here, especially actually given our earlier question, because it kind of raises a related question, is there's this great moment when Ezra is really trying to wrestle with the Force and wrestle with the spiders, and then along comes, he gets this moment where he's saved, and you're not quite sure what happens, but you hear just a little bit of the Force music in this very sort of quiet, subtle way, and then it's Ahsoka there. And and then I thought, because I think one of the more interesting questions in terms of Kanan training Ezra, like one of the questions is, why doesn't Ahsoka just train him? And, and I think we kind of know the answer in terms of her not really being a Jedi and her feeling a little bit further away from him and her feeling like she has to wrestle with all this stuff about uh, about Darth Vader. But it was a nice, like, to me, there was a nice little moment of that was kind of Ahsoka and him having a little bit of like, yeah, okay, maybe I can teach this kid some things. Hmm. The, the musical notes at the end, I think there was a little bit of the Force theme and also a little mm-hmm. bit of the Imperial March, you know, Darth Vader theme. I wanted to ask you about that because the very end, they like cut up to this like owl that's just hanging out up outside the base, and then you hear the Imperial March. Yeah, but very very slowed down, right? Very slow. Very down. slow down. Yeah. Had we like have we seen that? Is that owl supposed to be like a drone of some kind? Do we know anything about this? Is this just something that's we're just learning now? Maybe this owl is something sketchy. No, I think it's just an owl. <laughs> Okay. I don't I don't remember okay. anything going forward with it. I think it's just an owl. I think the music is just meant more to be kind of ominous, but also for mm. us to question Ezra, right? Right. Is is Ezra going to go to the light or the dark side? And right. we we're going to get a lot more of that coming up. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's probably true. I probably took it way too literally. There was just the way it was shot was a sort of like, oh, oh, is this owl a drone? Is this owl possessed by Vader? Like, what's happening here? And and as to your point about whether why why doesn't Ahsoka train Ezra? I, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. she probably has hangups about the Jedi Order, but from just a pure knowledge perspective, she would have have gotten a lot more training than Kanan did. Because when she mm-hmm. left the Order, she was much older than Kanan was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she had the full Padawan experience. I think yeah. uh, towards the end of Clone Wars, Ahsoka was... Uh, Anakin was trying to talk about having her take the trials to become a Jedi Knight, you know? But I think she... I think Kanan has this very idealistic view of the Jedi. She has, I think, a much more cynical view. So that is also probably, I think, part of it. Yeah, and if... Of course, like in The Mandalorian, we get a little bit more of Ahsoka, and we get a little bit more of her reluctance to mm-hmm. to train people. I I hope that the future arc for her, for Ahsoka's character, you know, on her own TV show, is that she will come to some kind of balance and acceptance and, and take an apprentice of her own, right? In, in whatever you want to call it, you know? Don't call yourself a Jedi, but train train someone in the Force. I think I'm on record from the Clone Wars that what I really wanted was the Ventress and Ahsoka buddy show, you know, or even romance. But just because well, I think there's something so interesting about 
the Force user who has walked away from the Sith and the Force user who has walked away from the Jedi and maybe them finding some common ground. Mm-hmm. But No, they had a very good couple of episodes together. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's about all we can say about these two episodes. As you said, it was not the, the most thrilling, but there were some nice moments. And sure, they were getting ready to come to two of maybe the two best episodes of Rebels, if not certainly one of the best uh, two episode arcs or, or arcs in general we're going to get. So anything else to say about this before we kind of wrap up and get ready for next week? Nothing about these two episodes. I, I think they were okay, you know, which is still, yeah. again, as I said earlier, Rebels is such a good show that like the okay here or even the bad here from my perspective with the spiders, this was still, you know, fun to watch. Good TV. Yeah. But the, oh my gosh, the next, the, the finale of this season, we're going to get into it. That's just going to be so amazing. Possibly the best season finale of any TV show I've ever watched, mm-hmm. question mark. Yeah. I think quite possible. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. Definitely tune in next week. We'll get more of that. And of course, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to write into us, email, tweet, uh, Facebook message, all that information you can find by going to theethicalpanda.com. There you'll also find all my other podcasts and links to all the other great stuff going on. Uh, Thank you so much, Riki, for being a part of this. Thank you, everybody, for being great listeners. Most of all, have a great day. (laughs) Exactly.